From the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Today is Friday, December 6th, and that means only a handful of voting days remain before state lawmakers head home for the holiday recess. When they return in the new year, there will be a stack of environmental and environment-adjacent bills waiting for them to address. These include measures aimed at cutting greenhouse gas emissions from power generation, transportation, and natural gas production. Agency staff, meanwhile, will have their plates full in the new year with regulatory matters like the carbon cap ordered by Governor Wolf for the state's electricity producers back in October. As it turns out, much of the 2020 agenda in Harrisburg aligns with issues that Peck has been highlighting. And as 2019 winds down, we're going to spend a little time today looking at how that agenda has taken shape over the past year and where it could go in the year ahead. And to that end, we're joined now by Peck's VP for Legal and Government Affairs, John Walliser. John, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Looking back to about a year ago this time, we were getting ready for what was going to be a big year of state-level action on climate and greenhouse gas emission reductions uh, initiatives. Uh, We put out a big report in January of 2019. Since then, we've seen some forward motion on several of the things that we identified in that report, and we've been talking about them over the course of the year. But as we get to the end of the calendar year, I thought it would be a good time to check in and see where do we stand with all of that. Yeah, sure. So we've actually seen a lot of very good progress in Harrisburg on climate and energy issues, uh, both uh, with respect to legislation that's been introduced and considered as well as a few things that are happening at the agency or at the the sort of the administrative level. So uh, I think the biggest for us is in October, the governor issued an executive order asking the Department of Environmental Protection to develop a state program to cap Uh, greenhouse gas emissions from the electric generation sector. That was something we expressly asked for in our January Pathways report. So what this executive order does is it uh, charges the Department of Environmental Protection to develop a program that can then link to any number of regional programs like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative to really achieve the most reductions at the most cost-effective price. So this is going to be a very long process. The department is supposed to develop a draft rulemaking for that program by the middle of next year. I don't think we're going to see an actual draft of that proposal until sometime around March or April of next year. And then from then, you're looking at another year or two of consideration. But um, it's it's a very positive step. We are very happy to see it happen. So a, a long way to go still, but I get the sense that the pieces are moving into position. We just got an announcement earlier this week from a, a natural gas industry trade uh, organization that was a number of natural gas producers all coming forward and saying carbon pricing uh, is necessary. And if the federal government's not going to do it, it needs to happen at the state level, as we're seeing in, in markets across the country. The Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative is certainly along those lines, is it not? Absolutely. And you're seeing other states uh, like New Jersey and Virginia are starting to pursue that as well. So Pennsylvania would be in good company. So industry is on board largely. We've got support from both political parties in the General Assembly and the governor's office. So full right. steam ahead, right? Yeah, it makes sense because you you achieve significant emission reductions. You do so in a way that is cost effective and, and also done in a way that businesses can plan for. Um, and you're also potentially looking at some pretty significant Uh, revenue return to the state for any number of programs, whether it's consumer assistance, uh, investment in energy efficiency, or renewable and um, carbon capture technologies. Moving beyond energy and climate, although that's certainly going to be a theme that will come up over and over again, but there are other uh, environment and conservation and outdoor recreation related 
legislative and regulatory items that have been on our agenda. We're, as we record this in the first uh, couple of weeks of December, so at, at this point, is it fair to say the, the legislative season for, or at least for 2019, is, is effectively over? Not many voting days left, as I understand. Yeah, there's only one scheduled day for, for December, but uh, if you recall, the, the legislative session actually lasts for two years. So while we're at the end of a calendar year, we still have one more year to go. But there are a number of bills that we are tracking and engaging on actively. Um, in the recreation space, there are two that we're particularly interested in. There's House Bill 1003, which would uh, beef up signage and safety requirements around low-head dams. Uh, these are structures. There's about 300 of them scattered throughout the Commonwealth. They're a significant public health hazard. Uh, unfortunately, we've had people die over the past couple of years by going over these dams. When you're on the water, they're very hard to see. Right. Um, so this legislation would actually give the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission stronger authority to require better marking of those dams so they're not quite the hazard. Another piece of legislation that's been introduced, just introduced, uh, that we're interested in is House Bill 1941. And this is a bill that's trying to provide some better liability protections to individuals and companies who provide outdoor recreational experiences. So you think of your traditional whitewater kayaking company or, or rafting company. You know, it's not necessarily an environmental issue, um, but it's something, you know, as an organization that does a, a huge amount of recreational work throughout the state, it's something that we're going to be keeping an eye on. You know, and certainly, like we as an organization want to see the outdoor industry thrive. We believe that's uh, that's a partnership that is just waiting to be leveraged to make better environmental policy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the biggest economic contributors to the state. It's a huge employer, brings in huge revenues, both the statewide and locally. So anything we can do to help support that industry is critically important. And some other things going on with the uh, the wildlife commissions having to do with permitting fees. What's going on there? Yeah, so uh, this has been for several sessions now. There's been legislation introduced to give the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission and the Pennsylvania Game Commission greater autonomy in setting licensing fees. Right now, the way it's set up is uh, that's done by the General Assembly, uh, which you can imagine um, is sort of a, a long process. I know that uh, certainly with the Game Commission and probably with the Fish and Boat Commission, too, neither of them have seen a increase in uh, fishing or hunting fees for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And that's a critical source of revenue for the, all the great programs that they do. There's a number of bills. Several of them have received consideration. Um, we are optimistic that we'll see passage of those bills this year. So the, the you know the commissions can continue doing the great work that they're doing. What are some examples of that work? Like what are the programs that these uh, license fees fund? Um, so it's everything from providing access to waterways, uh, fishing access, boating access. It's stocking of streams. It's any number of biological inventories dealing with issues like chronic wasting disease and deer. Um, I mean, pretty much anything you can think of in terms of Pennsylvania is going out and enjoying these resources. The commissions do a, a number of great programs to support that. So that's precisely what these fees uh, would go toward. We've been looking at bits of legislation and proposals that PAC is more or less favorably disposed toward. Uh, are there any that we are watching with some concern and trepidation? There are. I'll, I'll try to break it down into two sets. Um, the first really uh, deal primarily with what I would call water protection. Uh, there's a bill in the Senate, Senate Bill 619, which would fundamentally rewrite what actually constitutes water pollution in the Commonwealth. Um, Seems important. It's very important. Um, and it also puts um, some significant limitations on, uh, you know, if a spill occurs at a site, 
or a facility, when does that company have to actually report it to the department or the uh, Fish and Boat Commission? And when can the Department of Environmental Protection and the commission actually compel cleanup of those uh, spills? So that's a big one we're watching. Um, The other one is uh, a bill, Senate Bill 790, that would uh, roll back environmental protection standards for the conventional oil and gas industry. This has been a recurring issue for a few sessions now, um, something that we uh, remain opposed to, at least as the legislation is currently written. Not that we're um, inherently opposed to having different standards for unconventional and conventional oil and gas operations, but the way the legislation is crafted right now, it's it's a pretty dramatic rollback and would uh, likely lead to a number of significant uh, risks and uh, stranded legacy costs that will ultimately be borne by the uh, the citizens of the Commonwealth. Another set of bills that we're looking at, especially heading into early next year when the governor gives his budget address in February and the General Assembly starts having discussions about the budget, um, are two bills that would affect um, a number of special funds. Uh, these are things like the Growing Greener Program, the Keystone Fund, um, things that have been around for a very long time. This legislation, uh, there's actually two bills. One would pull all of those funds into the general fund uh, so they would no longer sort of be distinct. The other is one that would require annual legislative approval for any appropriations from that fund. And we're worried about uh, facing a similar situation to what we have at the federal level with the Land and Water Conservation Fund where allocations of these monies get tied up into uh, sort of broader political dealings, if you will. Um, you know, right now, these monies, uh, the, you know, they were created by legislation. Their purposes and the criteria were very specifically spelled out. The agencies follow those guidelines, um, and we would like it to stay that way. Um, unfortunately, every year, it seems that um, there is interest uh, from some in the General Assembly to try to divert those monies into the general fund or to utilize them for other purposes. So uh, we're staying on top of it. Uh, we will continue to watch these bills. So sort of taking stock of the or the last few weeks, I guess, as we approach the end of the calendar year, not the session, only one of the bills that we've been paying any attention to has has seen any movement recently. And I'm thinking about the uh, the clean transportation infrastructure bill. Can you tell me what's in that bill and uh, where it sits now in the legislative process? Yeah, so this is a, essentially a planning bill. Um, so this is recognizing you know, the growing popularity and use of electric vehicles and saying, we need to have a good plan in place for the infrastructure that's going to support that. Uh, so that's what this legislation does. It essentially tries to um, establish a planning process for deployment of infrastructure, working with all the right types of stakeholders, you know, the, the, the people who, who manufacture and sell these electric vehicles, the electric distribution companies that sell the electricity, um, local governments and the like. And it's, it's setting goals for having statewide deployment of that infrastructure, but doing it in a really inclusive way. Looking ahead into 2020 now and uh, realizing that we've got the uh, the whole budget process on the horizon and that's going to delay or derail some of this, but what, what else are we anticipating being big legislative discussions on energy and climate matters in, in 2020? Yeah, so on the legislative front, there's actually two bills that we're very interested in and supportive of. Um, one is um, uh, what's known as a community solar bill. It's House Bill 531 in the House and in the Senate, the companion bill is Senate Bill 70. These are uh, bills that would allow for what's known as community solar. So if you are a 
a renter in an apartment or you're a homeowner um, and you don't have the ability to put solar panels on your roof, this is trying to establish a structure where you can buy into a sort of an aggregate localized uh, renewable energy opportunity. This would be sort of an analog of like a community garden type situation. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like a CSA for renewables. That's yeah, right. It. Yeah. The other bill that we're very interested in at the moment is House Bill 2034. This is a, a piece of legislation that would uh, provide some funding and encouragement for uh, public entities like utilities or local governments to do uh, micro hydro projects. So microhydro is distinct from, I guess, macrohydro. What's the difference between these types of projects and the, and the larger installations that maybe are a little more familiar to people? Right. So microhydro would, would largely be either a retrofit and an existing impoundment or dam. Um, so you're not talking about building a new structure, blocking the waterway, um, or something as small as putting in turbines at a uh, sewage treatment facility. Um, and you're not talking about generating a whole lot of power, but enough to either power that facility or provide some localized uh, energy. And obviously, like, uh, much less impactful on the ecosystem. That's right, yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, we've been talking about legislation mostly. Uh, There's also some things happening on the regulatory front that we're interested in. Right. So one of the other things that's happening with the Department of Environmental Protection is they're readying a proposal to regulate emissions from oil and gas uh, operations, well pads and infrastructure, trying to get at VOCs, volatile organic chemicals, as well as methane. So that rulemaking proposal, a draft of that, is going to be presented to the Environmental Quality Board, which is an administrative body that sort of gives the thumbs up or thumbs down on rulemaking proposals from the Department of Environmental Protection. That's going to be presented to EQB this month. Um, If they approve it, it will be put out for public comment in early 2020. uh, And then hopefully we'll see finalization sometime in late 2020 or early 2021. And meanwhile, at the governor's direction, DEP is working toward uh, a carbon pricing program. Right. So that's going to follow a similar path, although uh, we don't anticipate seeing a draft of that until sometime in uh, April or May of next year. And then it will receive its initial consideration by the Environmental Quality Board likely in July. Uh, And then it, too, will go out for public comment um, and refinement. And then you're probably looking at finalization sometime in 2021 or 2022. As we've said, a lot going on, and you'll hear about it on the podcast in the year ahead, and you'll see it on the PEC website, and uh, you'll be following it in the news, certainly. But, you know, in the meantime, on a day-to-day basis, what's a good way for people to keep on top of the minutia of the legislative and regulatory processes we've been talking about at a really granular level? So we keep track of all of the environmental bills and regulations that are proposed on our website. So if you go to PECPA.org, click on the policy tab, you'll see a a little header that says policy tracker. Uh, If you follow that, that will take you to a website that will provide a calendar of all legislative and regulatory hearings that are happening, a list of all the bills that have been introduced that touch upon recreation and the environment. We're getting close to 200 now, uh, so far halfway through this legislative session. And then at the bottom, you'll also see all the rulemaking proposals that are out. Um, and, uh, you know, where PEC has taken a position, either in support or in opposition to a bill, that'll be flagged as well. All right, John, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to check out the episode description for links to the PEC Bill Tracker, our 2019 policy report that we've been discussing, and more of PEC's work on energy and climate going back more than a decade. 
By the way, the Bill Tracker has its own Twitter feed where you can get reminders about upcoming meetings, hearings, and other important dates. Follow Peck Policy. That's at P-E-C-P-O-L-I-C-Y. And of course, at Peck PA for all things Peck. We're on Facebook. Look for Pennsylvania Environmental Council. And if you enjoy the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast, you can help us out by recommending it to a friend or colleague. Better yet, give us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have time, write a review. That helps other listeners discover the program, helps us grow our audience and get our message out to more listeners. And that's it for this episode. For the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Wallerson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.